Welcome to the podcast of Outpost Church in McLarenvale, where we seek to be apprentices of Jesus. We are currently looking at the Sermon on the Mount, which can be found in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, where Jesus is announcing the kingdom of heaven with its implications for every aspect of our lives. There is so much for us to learn and to put into practice. Let's get into it with this teaching from our Sunday gathering. So if you guys want to open up, any guesses what part of the Bible we're turning to? Those that have been tracking with us know it is Matthew chapter 7. As I um, started preparing on Wednesday, I journaled a bit, a bit about this passage and I had uh, the, the opening line. Can anyone read to me the first sentence of Matthew chapter 7? Uh, is it verse? Through the narrow gate. And um, yeah, so I, I read through the passage and then I started journaling on it. Uh, and the, the phrase that I wrote in my journal as I looked at that, that really hit me, um, was it says enter through the narrow gate, but it doesn't have a people limit. I was like, there's no people limit. Enter through the narrow gate, but it doesn't say that there's not going to be a lot of people. It doesn't say about the depth uh, that we're entering into. And then I started thinking about uh, the new Jerusalem, which we read about in Revelation chapter 21, coming down out of heaven from God. And the new Jerusalem has all these measurements um, and it's a really interesting thing in that it's got the same length and breadth and also the same height, uh, so the walls around this city, and it is massive. Uh, in fact, I've got a representation uh, that should be on the screen right about now of how big the New Jerusalem would be um, if it was against um, the map of Australia. Um, and it basically, it would start at the Great Australian Bight and travel all the way east through Adelaide and then travel north up through Cairns and then it would go west uh, into the Kimberleys and then back down to the Great Australian Bight. That's a big city. It is something like 2,240 kilometres. That's the wall. One wall. 2,240 kilometres. It's not the area um, of the city. Um, it's not even the perimeter of the city. There is no way you can fit that square entirely on mainland Australia. Even if you like tilt it, like it, it, it won't fit. So massive. The New Jerusalem is the residing place of the Lamb, uh, of God, Jesus, um, who is the lamp of that place. Um, and it is massive, more than capable of housing a lot of people. So with that in mind, just have a look at what Matthew chapter 7 verses 13 and 14 say. So read it to yourself. And if you have any feedback for the theory that I just presented, shout it out. It says few find it. Few find it. That's different than what I was just saying. See, 
my leaning when it comes to theology is around the inclusivity of God, the opportunity that every single one of us has to say yes to him. And my leaning would be to downplay the judgment side of things. And so I read this passage, and the thing that jumps out to me, I'm like, what Jesus is really getting at is that he is the gate, and we need to enter through him. Some will read this and really focus in on the fact that hardly anyone's going to find it, but that's not the case because he is desiring that no one should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's true, but I still should sit with this passage and allow the sobering reality that few find it to hit me. Let's read it together. Enter through the narrow gate. That could be positive. It's certainly a very clear instruction of what we are to do. But you read that next sentence. For the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction and there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life and few find it. We're now getting towards the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. And so Jesus has presented uh, what life is like in the kingdom. He has this massive crowd who are there because he has been healing people. There is something about this Jesus that's compelling, that's attractive, and they're gathering around. And he starts proclaiming a message that is surprising and confronting And then he says, this is how you enter. You enter through the narrow gate. Not only is the gate narrow, but it is a difficult road. And there are few that find it. We can push back on him and be like, it's not really fair. Like, why don't you make it the other way around and make it easier for people? But maybe he's just really gracious in telling us how things actually are. And we should say thank you for telling us how things actually are so that we know where we sit and what we are to do. Our responsibility is to enter through the narrow gate. We are not to just follow the crowd. We are not to assume that other people have our best interest at heart and they really know what's up so we just do what they do. We enter through the narrow gate because there's going to be a massive crowd of people who are going the wrong way. It's really clear in Scripture. And I just gave you um, my own um, fallibility, (laughs) looking at Scripture and just missing stuff. And it's so easy to do. And I've heard many sermons which have followed this kind of formula where you have a Scripture... You read the scripture and then you go and talk all about the scripture and then you never go back and revisit the scripture that you started with. I've also sat in different discussions, even led them where you do the same thing. You start with the scripture, then you theorize about what it means and how you apply it. But there are those times you then go back to it and go, actually, I've still got the same questions that I had when I first read this. We just theorized about something that missed something significant from this passage. And it might be that that, there's something in there that just hits you and it's like, oh, wow. And then you can explain it away. Don't have to worry about it anymore. Or it might be that something else jumps out that confirms what you already believe 
And so you miss the thing that would challenge what you believe. With perfectly good motives, we can miss it. And what we're about to read is that we need to be aware of those who don't have good motives, who are actually seeking to cause harm. Because if we can be led astray when there's good motives at play, obviously it's far, far worse when someone's intentionally trying to be deceptive. Does anybody know why the Bereans are famous in the Bible? What did the Bereans do? Anyone? The Bereans. People from Berea. I heard something. They studied scripture. So we read about them in Acts chapter 17, and Paul goes to the people of Berea, and they're eager for it. And they studied or they searched the scriptures daily to see if what he was teaching was accurate. They didn't just take it upon his word. They went and searched out the scriptures for themselves. My thesis is that there are far more people who are aware of what the Bereans did than there are people who mimic what the Bereans did. If you get what I'm saying. It is so easy for us to not go back and check things out for ourselves because we'll miss it. We'll miss the good stuff. We need to be people who continually go back to the scriptures and allow the scriptures to do their work on us. Let's continue to read from verse 15. Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. It's intense. We had to be on our guard. So I'm saying we need to be on our guard against ourselves and our own ability to just misread stuff. Pardon me. We need to be on guard, even against people that have good motives, who can lead us astray. And we also need to be on guard because whatever group you associate with or um, receive teaching from, there's likely to be people who are deliberately trying to manipulate you. And we need to be on guard. And that's a sobering reality. There's plenty of warnings throughout the New Testament to be on guard. And it's not that we need to be paranoid. But Jesus made it very clear that we are to call no man on earth teacher. We have one teacher, the Christ. So we have people who teach and we sit under teaching, but we are always going back to the scriptures. Not from paranoia, but because we want to be a student of Jesus, an apprentice of Jesus, not an apprentice of someone um, with a pulpit and a microphone. It is Jesus that we follow, not the most charismatic leader, not someone who tells amazing stories. They can be an amazing help to us, but it's Jesus that we follow and must always come back to him. Verse 16. This is why we're not to be paranoid. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit. 
but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you'll recognize them by their fruit. It's not okay for anyone to say, do as I say, not as I do. We need to back it up. Like, there is something on, you can read it there for yourself. Verse 19, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. It's a strong warning for leading people astray. We read it in James, not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, for those who teach will be judged more strictly. It is a big deal to teach, and it needs to be taken seriously. And I'm concerned that there's times that that doesn't hit me as hard as it should. Like what I just said needs to hit me harder than what it did just in that moment as I said it. I will be judged more strictly. That's a big deal. We will know people by their fruit. And it's connected to the fruit of the Spirit, but I don't think that's the entirety of what he's getting across. But you will see the fruit of the Spirit in someone's life who's actually following Jesus and submitted to Jesus as Lord. You will see the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of their life will reflect Jesus. It's not saying perfection, but it is saying you will see that fruit. You will recognize them by their fruit. Let's not get sucked in. And let's not assume that anyone, including me, I know that's hard for you to believe. I know it's really hard for you to believe that right now. But let's not think that anyone is infallible. Someone might have a massive audience. They may be so respected, but it doesn't make them infallible. Let's not put people up on pedestals. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. There is no magic word. Just saying Lord doesn't guarantee entrance into his kingdom. As we keep reading, we see that there's no particular um, achievements that guarantee entrance either. So we read from verse 22. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name and do many miracles in your name? Then I'll announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. This is sobering stuff. It's not based on something that we've said. It's not based on something that we've done. It is based upon our obedience to him and him knowing us. This is another one of those passages that I misquoted. The thing that I focused on when I would quote this was the knowing. Away from me, I never knew you. That was what was in my mind when I thought of this passage for a decent chunk of time. I think years. But it's not just I never knew you. It's depart from me, you lawbreakers. Verse 
and we go back to the start of that section, it's the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. So for, for us, we just need to be really, really cautious around things like praying the sinner's prayer. If you believe in your heart and you speak these words, then you can be assured of your salvation. We've got to be so careful with that stuff. The one who perseveres to the end will be saved. That's what we read about in Revelation. That's a very different message than believe this now in this moment, speak out these words, and forever your salvation is secured. There's nothing like that in the Scriptures. We are called to believe, which is not about a moment in time. It's a position of your heart. It is something that continues and endures. It's not saying you don't ever have doubts. It's just saying that you try and work through those doubts. You take those doubts to Jesus. There's no magic words that you've ever said that qualify you for his kingdom. There's no achievement that you've done that qualifies you for his kingdom. It's what he has done that qualifies you And it is simply your faith in that. But faith looks like something. We all live exactly according to what we believe. If you say that you believe that you need to get up at 6 a.m. to really seize the day and you're sleeping in to 10, you don't believe it. We will do what we believe. Not what we say we believe, but what we actually believe to be true. Our belief looks like something. This is a sobering passage. It is pretty black and white as well. So as as we look through this, we see that there's the narrow gate and there's the wide gate. There's the good tree, there's the bad tree. The good cop, the bad cop, maybe not. But we get down a bit lower and we see that there's the foundation of the rock or the foundation of the sand. You choose one or you choose the other and you continue to choose it. It's not about a moment in time. So as we read, we now are made very aware that there are people who expect that they are going to be received by Jesus into his kingdom who will not be. Don't be amongst them. Don't be amongst them. We are to enter through the narrow gate. We know there's going to be challenge. He lays it out pretty clearly. How narrow is the gate? And difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. We get to verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house, yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house and it collapsed 
It collapsed with a great crash. What is different as you read those two scenarios? What is different between what the foolish man and the wise man actually cop? What's thrown their way? Different outcomes, definitely. But the scenario of what comes at them is the same. So those that built their house on the rock still copped the floodwaters, the winds, the rain. They copped it just the same as the one that was on the sand. But only the one on the rock could actually endure it. We must build our lives on the rock that is Jesus. And what, according to that, just read it plainly, what is the imperative? What's the thing that we are to do? Call it out when you see it. That's it. We put it into practice. What he says, we do. It's not what we feel like. It's not what the crowd is doing. It's not what that leader that we really respect thinks and does. Unless that leader we really respect is Jesus. Are you getting it? There's so much. I wanted to take a few weeks to go through all this, but there's so much connection across these different things. And I want us to take the sober warnings that we have in here. Like we have a good, good father. Like Jesus reveals just how good God is. He is so gracious and so loving to us. And part of his gracious love toward us is warning us. And this is a passage that contains a fair bit of warning. You have been warned. You must enter through the narrow gate. Be on your guard against false prophets. Don't think that just saying a certain prayer at a certain time guarantees your salvation. Don't think that stuff you've done in your history guarantees your salvation. But also don't think that because your foundation is Jesus that you're going to have an easy life. Things are going to come at you, but you're able to endure because of him. And he is amazing in the miracles that he acts on our behalf as well. And there is many a time that we will be uh, brought out of challenge. But we shouldn't expect a challenge-free life. Far, far from it. Verse 28, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them like one who had authority and not like their scribes. He wasn't quibbling and quoting like the scribes. He didn't need to back up what he was saying with anyone else's authority. He already had the authority of the Father. And that came across in the way that he taught and what he taught. There's a lot of things I'd love to say about this. Going through my notes, no, I'm going to leave it. We're going to spend some time in a little while um, in pairs and threes. We're going to sing before we do that. Um, But we're going to have a chance to reflect on scripture um, and it's a tool that some of you use be- some of you have used before um, but it will be new to others 
And I think it's a really helpful tool to be able to engage in Scripture. Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll talk us through that in a little bit. But I invite the band to come up um, as I pray. So, Father, we just commit ourselves to you again. And, and we ask that you would uh, bring your message to us and you would bring it to bear on our hearts today. That we would not um, just... Um, <sighs> not just do what we have always done. We would not leave the same as what we came, but that we would be impacted and changed by your word. Words uh, that might be really familiar to us, but may we actually respond to them as you would have us respond. Lead us, guide us for your name's sake. Hallelujah. Amen. Before we do get into worship again, um, I just feel really encouraged, feel prompted to share something that I feel like the Lord's been teaching me the last few weeks. And just the simple reality, the simple act of just becoming aware of His presence is so impacting to me when I'm in a moment of confusion or I'm in a moment of not knowing what to do. And it's the kind of thing that I waste that opportunity a lot. I don't know about you, but when I am in His presence, when we're together, when we're singing, you know, there's plenty of times where I'm distracted or I'm thinking about something else or there's something else that's on my mind. And it's often then we don't have those times that you become aware of how much you've taken for granted, (laughs) those times when you were able to just be in His presence and be still And over the past 12 months when we've just had church cancelled on us and when we can't sing, like you're so much more aware of that even more. But I just encourage you as we sing this next worship, um, before we get into it, to just take a sec to become aware of His presence and not waste an opportunity to be in fellowship with Him. Because yes, like He's with us all the time. We always have His presence. We always have His Spirit. But at the same time, like, I'm always, you know, married to Scott, but there's plenty of times where I'm disconnected from that or that's not a very impactful reality in my life. And when you're more intentional and you choose to be connected, like, that's where the gold is and that's where you actually get what you need from each other in a relationship. But it's the same with Jesus. It's a relationship that we have from Him and you can have His presence all the time and still waste that time, right? So I'm just going to take a sec before we do start singing and... I just encourage you, whatever that looks like for you, if it's just with your eyes closed and your hands out, if you want to stand up, if you want to do your own thing, just become aware of His presence. Just thank Him that He's with you and thank Him that He's here and don't waste an opportunity to be able to just give Him back some love for everything that He's given us. We just declare that there is no one like you, Jesus. You are the one and the only. You are worthy of everything that we have to give. You are the the pearl of great price. When found, it is for and with joy that everything is sold in order to go and purchase this pearl. So gracious, you 
are so mighty. You are so wonderful. You are so beautiful. You are majestic. You are holy. You are righteous. You are love. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Alpha and the Omega. Hallelujah. All praise to Jesus for all time. What a privilege to be in that number. Like that song has the saints. But we get to be in that number. Like when the saints go marching in, we get to be your kids. We get to be your family. We get to be amongst those who celebrate your goodness, who make much of Jesus. What a privilege. seat and just want to thank Beth and Lockie and Rob and Jess again for leading us. It's such a beautiful thing and I think Beth hinted at it before but those of us that have been doing this for a while are just ever more grateful to be able to sing, (laughs) ever more grateful to be able to gather as the church Um, and it's something we can't take for granted and often we have and I think we do that less at the moment which is a good thing. Uh, the the verse that was on my heart as I sat down just before uh, was God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. And it's an Old Testament scripture, but it's repeated in James and in First Peter. And God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. The message that I brought before was reasonably strong. And um, it'd be easy to to feel insecure about your salvation as a result of what I preached. But guess what? God gives grace to the humble. The examples that I gave before of people who are saying, Lord, Lord, look at the things we've done. Don't we deserve entry because we cast out demons in your name. We did these healings and mighty works in your name. That's proud. That's pride as opposed to those who come humbly before him and say, help, I need help. I'm not perfect, I need your help. Let's be people who do that. 